We always want the best of everything in all areas of our lives, whether it be physical, financial, relational, spiritual. We really want the best of it. But to get that is going to require more than mediocrity on our part. It requires excellence. We continue our series with Elder Ivor Johnson entitled, Why Not Excellence? Let's jump in. I would like to welcome all of our viewers on Periscope. We are always so blessed to have you with us. And I have every intention of completing this series today. However, the decision remains with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> As I stated previously, the purpose of this study is for us to examine ourselves, our lives, push the envelope, and make the quality decision to operate in excellence 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 or 366 days of, ye of the year. In other words, to make excellence a way of life. Throughout this series, we've shared different people who have demonstrated excellence in their lives, and one of our contemporary examples, a person who exudes excellence, is none other than Apostle Frederick Casey Price. We also discussed that if Apostle Price can live in excellence, then so can we. For God is what? He's no respecter of persons. Also, we've established the fact that we are equipped to live in excellence for the power of the entire Godhead resides in those of us who are believers. Now, this is our fourth lesson in this series, and I cannot go over all that has been shared previously because we'll just never get any further. So again, I beg of you to please get the CDs for your own spiritual enrichment and edification. I will, however, quickly list the points shared previously because they are some of the things to ensure you're operating in excellence. Now, if you are a person to take notes, this would be a good place to start. So viewers on Periscope, I encourage you to grab some paper and a pen. Now, I apologize in advance for how quickly I must do this, but I have so much more to share. So beginning with point number one, you must be born again. Point number two, it's imperative that you are filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit, evidenced by speaking with other tongues. It is one thing to be born of the Spirit of God, but it's quite another to be filled to overflowing with the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that is evidenced by speaking with other tongues. Um, now, if that's something, because a lot of times people are born again, but they're not necessarily Spirit-filled. If that happens to be your case, be encouraged, because at the end of this lesson, you will have that opportunity today. Number three, you must be authentic with yourself. In other words, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you because there's some things you're going to need to tweak because none of us are perfect. I know a lot of you think that you are, but none of us really are perfect. And the good news is God does not expect perfection from us, but he definitely appreciates progress. So we need to tweak some things as we go along. Number four, you need to pray in the Spirit, which is why you need to be Spirit-filled so that you can have your own prayer language and pray directly to the Most High. God. And you need to do this not every now and then, but you need to do it daily. Also, point number five, you need to pray in English because that is your known language for most of you. And obviously, you need to know what you are praying. And you need to be able to be very clear on that. So you need to do that. And how often do you do that? You should do that daily also. Number six, you need to decide and make a conscious decision to study the word of God. You have to be all in. 
all in, no you know, excuses, and you really need to familiarize yourself with the books of Romans through Jude, because that really contains your inheritance, and you need to know about that. Um, we talked also about different ways of learning, and that's again why you have to get the CD, because there was a lot of really good information that went forward regarding that. Um, another thing is, and this is point number seven, you have to get to the point where the word of God becomes the final authority in your life. That is crucial, okay? It does not matter what the doctors tell you. It doesn't matter what your job tells you. It doesn't matter what the bank tells you. It doesn't matter who is president-elect. The word has to become final authority in your life. Number eight, you need to develop your relationship with God. It's not about religion, it's about relationship. And that is something that we cannot, in any way, shape, or form, stress it enough. You really, really, really must do that. Because when you think about it, in order for you to really stand on the promises of God, you have to know who he is. I mean, just think about any relationship, because sometimes we get so over-spiritual that we don't really just think of basic things. Anybody that's considered a good friend of yours, they're only a good friend of yours because you got to know them better, correct? It's not like you were born and somebody said, labeled this person and said, that's your friend. You got to know them. You developed communication with them. You spent some time with them, correct? Well, it's the same thing with your heavenly father. You've got to get to know him and build and nurture your relationship with him. And again, you are not gonna ever have any kind of confidence in his word if you don't know anything about what he is. It's not based on hearsay or lack of knowledge. It's got to be something that you know. One of the things that I cited, so jot this down, is Hosea 4, 6. You definitely need to know what it says there because our people are definitely destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, this brings us to point number nine, which is to develop your spiritual muscles. We talked about how if you want to develop your natural muscles, you do what? You go to the gym. You do whatever it is that it takes to, you know, if you want the six pack, it's not going to come just because you're eating fried chicken and mashed potatoes. You're going to have to do some things, you know, eat properly, go to the gym if you want that to happen. Well, to develop your spiritual muscles, you're going to have to do some things too, which means what? You're going to have to get into the work study the word because you need to build your faith and we've already shared how faith is what it is the currency of the kingdom the other thing that we learned is that once you get your faith developed you're not so easily moved by the circumstances that you may be looking at by the different storms that you may be growing through at the moment they don't get your goat so much they don't bother you once you know the word and you can stand upon that and that's something that's really supposed to be our goal. We talk about the excellence of the apostle. We talk about how Abraham was known as a person of great faith. Well, that's because they were fully persuaded that God would do what it was that he said that he would do. And that's what we need to do also. Now, we need to also realize that we do have an adversary the enemy. And he is going to continue to do what? To offer his suggestions. He's going to give you thoughts all the time and, and ideas of how you're not going to accomplish whatever it is you're believing God for. That is his job. As a matter of fact, turn with me. And this is sort of like where we left off when we were together. So that was a quick review. I'm happy. Okay. Turn with me to First Peter. And we're going to look at the fifth chapter. And I need you to let me know when you are there. There. 
Okay, so we know Uncle Baldy's there, but what about the rest of you? <laughs> okay, let me know when you're there, because you need to see this. First Peter 5. Okay, great, good. All right, so if we look at this in the New King James Version, starting with verse 8, because we're going to look at verses 8 through 11, it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But, but see, that's important because a lot of times when you are in the midst of something, you believe you are the only one who has ever walked through what you're walking through at that time. Trust me, you're not, okay? Going on with verse 10. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever, amen. Now, I really like this out of the message, so therefore I'm going to read it out of it. And it says, keep a cool head, stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. The suffering won't last forever. It won't be long because this generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. And I love that. And if that wasn't enough for you, I'm going to read the last one out of the Amplified Version. And again, the reason I read all the different translations is because what we don't receive in one, you're going to pick up in another one. So that's why I do it. So out of the Amplified, starting with verse 8, it says, Be sober, well-balanced, and self-disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times. The enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. Notice it says seeking someone to devour. To devour. He can't just come devour you. You have to kind of be in a position for him to do that. That's why he's always seeking who he can do it. But you see, when you get to a point where you are truly operating in excellence, you don't make it so easy for him to just come and try to devour you. So that's another reason that you want to live in excellence. So picking up in verse 9, but resist him, meaning the devil, be firm in your faith against his attack, rooted, established, immovable, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. You do not suffer alone. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who imparts his blessing and favor, who called you to his own eternal glory in Christ, will himself complete, confirm, strengthen, and establish you, making you what you ought to be. To him be dominion, power, authority, sovereignty, forever and ever. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, the last time we were together, I shared a really wonderful story about the roaring lion. So you have to get the CD for that, too. Now, this brings us to point number 10. Point number 10 means that we need to be disciplined and diligent. Discipline means trained to act in accordance with rules or the word, to bring to a state of order and obedience. Diligent is a constant effort to accomplish something, attentive, persistent. You cannot live a life of excellence if you aren't disciplined 
and if you are not diligent. Those are two things that are non-negotiables. You definitely have to do that. Now, as we mature, we start to learn to handle thoughts that the enemy, of course, is going to give to us. We become more diligent, okay, with handling them. And they don't bother us so much because we do what it says in 2 Corinthians. So turn there with me now. 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Now, I have a question. Is anybody hearing this bouncing like, does it sound like the sound is bouncing off when I'm talking? Yes. A little bit? Okay. Well, I don't know, because I'm hearing it a lot. So I, as long as you, it's okay and you're dealing with it, praise the Lord, because it's really a little annoying up here. But anyway, 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and we're going to look at verses 5 and 6. And are you there? Okay, great. So if we read it out of, starting with the fifth verse, 2 Corinthians 10th chapter, starting with verse 5, it says, much better, thank you very much, whatever adjustment was just made, I appreciate it. Uh, verse 5 says, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now that's nice. And that sounds good, and it is to the point, okay? But I'm going to read it to you out of the message, and I think you're going to see where it's a little bit clearer. For it says this, the world is unprincipled. We get that. It's dog-eat-dog. Dog. <laughs> it's dog-eat-dog dog out there. We get that. The world doesn't fight fair. I think we can all agree with that. But we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. Now, didn't that say a little bit more than the New King James Version? Didn't it break it down just a little bit? That's why we do the different translations. Praise God. So, we also know that every thought that goes unspoken does what? It dies unborn. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to Hebrews, and we're going to look at the 10th chapter, verses 23 through 25. Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25. And when you get there, just say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, so starting with, what I'm going to do is... I'm going to read this to you out of the Amplified and then the message. You can follow along in the King James Version or whatever version you have. I promise you we'll end up in the same place because there's only one Holy Spirit. So starting with verse 23, out of the Amplified, it says, Let us seize and hold tightly the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is reliable and trustworthy and faithful to his word. And let us consider 
thoughtfully how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds, not forsaking our meeting together as believers for worship and instruction, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more faithfully as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. Now the message breaks it down a little bit more simple, so I'm going to read it there. Starting with verse 22, because you know how the message is, it usually gives you a little bit more. So starting with uh, verse 22 out of the message, it says, So let's do it, full of belief confident that we are presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. Now I need you to turn with me to Proverbs 18.21 and I know you guys all know this. You probably know it by heart, but I still want you to turn there anyway, because it's good for you to see it. So this is Proverbs, the 18th chapter, verse 21, and let me know you're there when you say amen. amen. Okay, and it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The Amplified breaks it down a little more and says, death Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it and indulge it, indulge it, key, will eat its fruit and bear the consequences of their words. And the message just gets to the point and says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit, you choose. <laughs> I love that. So this leads us into point number 11, which I did not get to share with you last time. And that is, we have to watch our words. When you speak, whatever comes out of your mouth has the power of the entire Godhead behind it, if you are a believer. Your words shape your entire life. So if you walk around and you say things like, I'm so tired, do you really think you're going to get energy from that? No, you're just going to become more tired because you are speaking that into existence. And we say little things and we don't think about it. Like you'll hear somebody say, oh, I can't seem to remember a thing. I went into this room and I don't even know what I came in here for. I just can't remember anything. Okay, you keep saying that long enough and you're not even going to remember your name. I promise you that, okay? <laughs> then we'll, you'll hear young mothers sometimes, you know, because being a mom and if you're a caregiver taking care of the children, it can be challenging, you know, and you'll hear a mother say, up and say, these kids are driving me crazy. Okay, well, mm. what do you, you know, and one of the things that I always really used to bother me, I would hear people talk about the terrible twos. Well, if you talk about the twos being terrible when your child becomes two, how do you expect them to be? I used to say, my children are a blessing. They are blessed. Oh, at two, they're just marvelous. And you know what? They really were. Now, I needed to spend a little bit more time when they got to teenage years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I started, I needed to start planting that seed when they were two, so that by the time, but they were still good, because I mean, I still did okay, but if I had to do it again, I would start probably at birth, because teenage, <laughs> teenage years, let me tell you, it's a challenging time. Okay, the other thing that, and I really hear a lot of wives say this, and every time I do, it just, oh, it's like chalk going across a blackboard, because they'll sit up and go, that man is a pain in my neck. 
neck. We're going to say neck, okay? But the point of the matter is, if you say that, then what do you expect, okay? You, no matter how, if you are in the midst of intense fellowship, you need to turn around and say, our marriage is full of harmony. That man is the love of my life. You need to turn the thing around. Call those things that be not as though they were. And you know what? All of a sudden, you will start seeing that, oh, he really is so sweet. Oh, he really is so nice. Turn it around. Speak what it is that you want. I have always said from the time, well, I prayed when I was six for my husband at six years old. And I asked the Lord to give me a man who's going to cherish me, who was just going to love me. I wanted somebody who was going to love me as much as I knew that my mother loved me. And I knew that my mother was not going to probably be with me as long. And she passed away when I was 15. So see, I started believing God when I was six. And you know what? God honored my heart. And I wasn't even born again, but he still honored what it was that I was believing him for. And I can honestly say I have a husband who loves me and he does cherish me and I am blessed. <laughs> okay. So you can have what it is that you say. When you walk around and you talk about how you can't stand so-and-so and I don't like this person and I'm going to avoid this person. All of that, you're planting that kind of stuff in your life. And you will find that you're not going to be a very happy person because you are not planting any happy words or happy thoughts. And it really bothers me when I hear people talk about the church. Okay? That church is so-and-so-and-so. This church doesn't have this. That church doesn't have that. Okay, so if you don't like what you see, change your words. Okay? This church is a wonderful church. First of all, it is under the foundation and auspices of the teaching ministry of Apostle Frederick Casey Price. It does not get better than that, okay? So you need to concentrate on that. Speak that when you're going out talking to your friends. Don't start talking about what is behind us. Let me explain something to you. And this was not in my notes. I don't know where this is coming from. But we have been redeemed from 96th Street, okay? 96th Street was for a season. There are seasons in our life. We are no longer there, so we're not going to stumble over what is behind us. It is on 96th Street. We are here. Whatever moment you are in, be there. So be where you are and stop coveting and talking about something that happened years ago, okay? I don't know who that was for, but it was for somebody, so praise the Lord. <laughs> so the point is, you are going to eat the fruit of your word. So whatever it is that you say, you need to be careful. If you don't have enough money in your account, don't sit up and talk about what you don't have. The word says what? You are rich. So if the word says you are rich, that's all that needs to come out of your mouth, okay? If your children are not exactly acting the way that they should, you turn that thing around and you start talking about how they should act. I have a daughter who is a doctor, okay? Not a doctor like, you know, they gave it to her because she went somewhere and said a little speech. She earned that thing. But let me tell you something. We got a whole lot of different little reports coming along. She took a test, I'll never forget it, in eighth grade that I never let her see the test. They sent it home. It's called the DRP where they sit and they determine what they think your child is supposed to be. So they said, which, well, if she hears this now, she'll know, <laughs> okay? But they have said that she was only going to be uh, intelligent enough to empty bedpans. That was what they felt. That, you know, she couldn't even be a nurse because according to them, she was like so whatever they thought that she couldn't even do that. So maybe she can be like a nurse's aide. Now don't 
there's nothing wrong with being a nurse's aide. That is a ministry. But the point is, you don't sit and tell a child what they can or cannot be. You do not have that right because you did not create them. God did. So when we got the test back, I took it. And Stan and I made a decision. We locked it in the safe. She, to this day, has never seen it. Okay, and whenever she had a challenge, I called those things that be not as though they were. One of the challenges she struggled with was math. I mean, we tried everything. You could say two apples and two bananas. Count them, okay? One, two, three, four. This precious child would come up with five, okay? <laughs> Something. And we're like, don't you see them? Count them. This, this did, did not seem to be her strong suit. And I was like, Lord, I mean, you know, we tried everything. We tried tutors. I mean, it was really getting to be frustrating. And I gave it to the Lord. I said, you know what? Obviously, I'm missing something, okay? We're missing something. The tutors are missing something. But you created her. So therefore, I'm going back to you with the situation. And I would go in her room at night. She did not even know it. And I would go in there and pray in the spirit. I would believe God that he would open up her mind. That Because first First of all, there is nothing that a teacher can give to you that you don't understand if you're operating with the mind of Christ. So therefore, I would go in and I would pray, show her what it is that she needs to see. Allow her to get this. Well, not only did she go ahead and take the Regents Diploma and get a 99, okay, which isn't too bad for somebody who they claim can't do anything, and definitely for the child who couldn't find that four things <laughs> she thought were five, but she actually is a doctor of music. She can, you can hum a song and she can actually put it on a score. She can do orchestrations for an entire orchestra and all the instruments. You can't do that with musical theory if you are not a whiz when it comes to math. So I say all of that to you to say this. Not that I'm bragging on my daughter, even though I am so blessed of God, but God will take whatever your situation is and he will turn that thing around if you trust him. That's the key. So I don't care what you may be walking through. I don't care what your situations are. You can turn it around if you are all in and if the word is final authority and if you accept the word of God as truth. The truth will always prevail. Praise God. So, yes, we need to watch your words. That's a definite thing. This brings us to point number 12, which is service. Now, that's one of those little things people don't think that much about. But we just read over here in Hebrews, the 24th verse just told us how we need to encourage one another to love and to do good deeds. We need to get involved when it comes to service. You can offer service to your brethren as well as other people. And you know what? It's extremely valuable. It is something that is valuable. One of the things that concerns me is that sometimes we get so caught up in the chase to acquire things that we forget all about, compassion and caring for others. Money is important because it allows us, really money is an amplifier. So whatever is in your heart, it's just gonna amplify, thank you so much. It is just gonna amplify and allow you to do more with it. That's all that it is, it really is an amplifier. But the point of the matter is, okay, we have brothers and sisters that can use our help and it doesn't even require money. 
If you can just do something like pick up the phone sometimes and call somebody and ask them, how are you doing? Is there something, can I go run an errand for you, okay? I mean, if you're already going to the market and you pick up something for them, it's not costing you anything. You were already there anyway, okay? But it's something that you can do. And, you know, what about calling somebody and asking them if they need you to get into agreement with them for prayer? Okay, wouldn't that be wonderful? Sometimes you're in the midst of something and a brother or sister calls you up and says, I can get into agreement with you because one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. But you know, we're too busy to do things like that. And we got to put a check on that because you see our actions, they speak a lot, a lot louder than a bunch of disingenuous words. And the other thing is, the law of reciprocity is real. So what it is that you dish out that's exactly what's coming back to you. So you might want to think about that. Thank you. I needed that. <laughs> okay, number 13, and this is the most exciting probably of all the points. Develop a covenant mindset. Now, I'm going to give you a real quick reference because <laughs> the clock, you know how it is, um, regarding our covenant with God. This is a really, your covenant with God is an extensive study. And we're going to have to explore that at a later date because we can't do it right now. But turn with me to Genesis 17. Genesis, the 17th chapter. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. And let me know when you're there. Okay. Now, because this is quite a bit... I want you to follow along in the New King James. I'm not even going to read it there. But I am going to read it to you out of the Amplified Classic Edition. So if you're looking for this, it's A-M-P-C. You have to have that C on the end because it is different than the traditional Amplified. Starting with verse number one, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Almighty God. Walk and live habitually before me and be perfect, blameless, wholehearted, complete. And I will make my covenant, solemn pledge, between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, as for me, behold, my covenant, solemn pledge, is with you, and you shall be the father of many nations. Nor shall your name any longer be Abram, high, exalted father, but your name shall be Abraham, father of a multitude. For I have made you the father of many nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants, after you throughout their generations for an everlasting solemn pledge to be a God to you and to your posterity after you. And I will give to you and to your posterity after the land in which you are a stranger going from place to place all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall therefore keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. Now I'm going to read it to you in the message because it's condensed, short, and to the point. And it says, when Abraham was 99 years old, God showed up and said to him, I am the strong God. Live entirely before me. Live to the hilt. I'll make a covenant between us and I'll give you a huge family. Overwhelmed, 
Abram fell flat on his face. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham, meaning that I'm making you the father of many nations. I'll make you a father of fathers. I'll make nations from you. Kings will issue, issue from you. I'm establishing my covenant between me and you, a covenant that includes your descendants, a covenant that goes on and on and on, a covenant that commits me to be your God and the God of your descendants. And I'm giving you and your descendants this land where you're now just camping, this whole country of Canaan to own forever. And I'll be their God. God continued to Abraham and you, you will honor my covenant, you and your descendants, generation after generation. Now, God made the covenant with Abraham and Abraham's seed. Turn with me to Galatians 3. And we're going to look at just verse 16. Galatians 3, 16. Let me know that you're there. Okay, great. If we look at it out of the New King James Version, it says, Now Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Now we're going to look at that same verse in the Amplified Classic Edition, and it says, Now the promises, covenants, agreements, were decreed and made to Abraham and his seed, his offspring, his heir. He, God, does not say, and to seeds, descendants, heirs, as if referring to many persons, but, and to your seed, your descendant, your heir. Obviously referring to one individual who is none other than Christ the Messiah. Now while you're in Galatians, drop down to verse 26, and we're going to look at verses 26 through 29. You should already be there because you're right there in Galatians. <laughs> so the New King James Version says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now if we look at that same, those same verses, Galatians 3, 26 and 29, in the Amplified Classic Edition, it says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, into a spiritual union and communion with Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, have put on, clothed yourselves with Christ. There is now no distinction, neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, are in him who is Abraham's seed, then you are Abraham's offspring and spiritual heirs according to the promises, letting us know that Abraham's blessings are what? They are ours. Praise God. So this also really quickly confirmed what? that we are in covenant with God. We are in covenant with him. Now turn with me to Jeremiah. And we're going to look at, you guys already know Jeremiah 29, 11. So we're going to look at Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. Because I want you to see something. 
Let me know when you're there. Okay, so reading it out of the New King James, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Now, the easy to read Verse 11 says, I say this because I know the plans that I have for you. This message is from the Lord. I have good plans for you. I don't plan to hurt you. I plan to give you hope and a good future. Now, this isn't in my notes, but this is for somebody else too. A lot of times people have a tendency to take the word and bring it down to their level. In other words, people have been hurt. You have been hurt by other people, okay? I mean, it's just part of life, unfortunately. But here is the point. God's plan is never to hurt you. So don't take him down to the level and think that he's going to be like somebody else in your life. Somebody else in your life may have hurt you, may have treated you like dirt. That's not God. Don't take God and bring him down to the level of people. You need to come up to the level of God and what his word says. So understand his plan is never, ever to hurt you. So if we look at these verses out of the Amplified Classic Edition, it says, for I know the thoughts and plans that I have for you, says the Lord, says the Lord, thoughts and plans for welfare and peace and not for evil, to give you hope in your final outcome. Then you will call upon me and you will come and pray to me and I will hear and heed you. Notice how all of these scriptures say that we're going to come and pray to him. Now again, not trying to be funny, but I really need you when you can to please come to Thursday Bible study because you're going to see that prayer is not just a little exercise we do. Prayer is giving God permission to be able to operate on our behalf and you need to understand that when you don't pray, you're not giving him permission. And some of the things that are not working out in your life is because either you're not praying or you're not praying correctly. And that's not his fault. You need to learn how to do that. That's why we are teaching that on Thursday. So please try and come for that. So if you look at verse 13, it says, then you will seek me, inquire for and require me as a vital necessity and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Praise the Lord. Now, also turn to John's gospel and we're going to look at the 10th chapter and I know I'm kind of going quick but it's because I really have so much to share <laughs> so turn with me to John's gospel and we're going to look at verse 14 in the 10th chapter and you all already know this but it establishes something and it establishes in the 14th verse of the New King James Version it says I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and, in no, and am known by my own. Um, the Amplified says, I am the good shepherd and I know without any doubt those who are my own and my own know me and have a deep personal relationship with me. Notice it doesn't say anything about religion. It says what? Relationship. The easy to read, if you look at verses 14 and 15, cuts to the chase and says, I am the shepherd who cares for the sheep. I know my sheep just as the Father knows me, and my sheep know me just as I know the Father. I give my life for these sheep. Now, while you're in John, you're already in the 10th chapter, go all the way down to verse 27 and 28. And the New King James Version says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I will give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. 
And if we look at the easy to read, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give my sheep eternal life. They will never die and no one can take them out of my hand. The Amplified, the sheep that are my own hear my voice and listen to me. Okay, we're his sheep, we need to be listening. I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never ever by any means perish and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. So I don't care come what may, what is happening in this country, what is happening throughout the world, you have the assurance that nobody can snatch you out of the hand of God. That for me is quite enough. So as you fellowship with him and get to know him a little bit better, well, you know what, before I do that, I'm gonna tell you this. <laughs> I want you, because this is, I don't want to harp on it, but I do. It's really important that you become diligent in developing a covenant mindset. You see, once you do that, you look at the world completely different. You look at everything in your life completely differently because you're looking at it understanding that you have a covenant relationship with the Most High God. And in doing so, you get to a point where you're just not willing to come out of the throne room where you are seated for anyone. And I want you to think about that. Why would you leave the luxury of the kingdom? Now, I'll break it down and put it to you this way because some people haven't really thought so much, but we're going to talk about that because there's another thing we're going to work on called in the kingdom. Oh, I can't wait. But anyway, <laughs> before we get to that, I want you to think about the luxury of the kingdom in a way that you can imagine. Say, for instance, you had an apartment, a penthouse apartment on Park Avenue. I know, isn't that nice? Okay, so you have a penthouse apartment, but it gets better than that. Because in your penthouse apartment, in this analogy, all of your expenses are totally paid for. You don't have to think about paying for anything. It's all paid for, and you have a complete staff who is gonna take care of every single desire that you have. So you don't even have to be concerned with all the little knickknacks you have. They'll never be dusted. Somebody will take care of that for you, okay? <laughs> okay, so all of this you have. Would you even, would you choose, I should say, if you have all that, would you choose to leave that and go live on the streets as a homeless person rummaging through trash for food? I don't think so, right? Now, no disrespect to a homeless person, okay? Because let me be clear, if you are here and you're homeless, there is no disrespect at all. Or if you know a homeless person, please help them any way that you can and share with them the good news of Jesus so that they can for real live in that analogy that I just gave on Park Avenue. They can do that by faith if they choose. It is available to all of us really as believers. I know what it is like to be abased. <laughs> and I know what it is like to abound. And I'm telling you, to abound is better. And that is why I choose to remain in the throne room <laughs> as an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. And every time that you forget your covenant relationship with the Most High God, every time that you allow your flesh to lead you into strife, into anger, into unforgiveness whenever you choose not to extend grace to others as it has been extended to you you have decided to exit the throne room now I appreciate 
And I praise God for my precious position in the throne room, bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. And nothing and no one is going to get me to leave that position. It's just not happening. It's just not worth it to me. So now, if you're challenged, though, with any of the areas that I just mentioned, ask God to help you. If you have to forgive someone, you may have to exercise your faith, but do it. Forgive them by faith. Keep this in mind. Hurt people hurt. And you may have been somewhere along the line subjected to that, okay? You may have endured some physical abuse, okay? And this can be male or female, okay? But it usually, unfortunately, happens sometimes more to ladies. You may have endured some physical abuse. You may have endured verbal abuse, which can be just as devastating. You may have had to go through divorce, which is not an easy thing and can be very hurtful. Whatever it is, forgive the person or persons involved that you remain in a position with God that your blessings are not blocked because none of that stuff is worth it. Sometimes Christians are wondering why their prayers are not being answered. And oftentimes, believe it or not, it is due to unforgiveness. Turn with me to Mark's Gospel, the 11th chapter, and we're going to look at verses 24 and 25. Now again, I know you're familiar with this. Um, if you look at Mark 11:24, everybody knows this out of the New King James Version. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. But very few people continue to move down to verse 25. And I'm going to read verse 25 to you out of the Amplified. For the essence of time. And it says, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, drop the issue, let it go, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions and wrongdoings against him and others. Amen. I submit to you that the more time you spend with God and nurture your relationship with him, the easier it becomes to forgive people because love trumps everything. And guess what? We already know God is love. So you have heard the expression, I'm sure, birds of a feather flock together. I mean, you've heard that, right? Okay, well, the more that you fellowship authentically, not, you know, just putting on a front, but seriously, authentically, fellowship with your Heavenly Father, it becomes easier to forgive, easier to extend grace, and move on because that is what He does. The more you get to know Him, the more you begin to become a reflection of Him. Your attitude, your actions, your conversation, reveal just how close you are to the Father. And whether you know it or not, everyone sees it, especially unbelievers. So as you fellowship with him and get to know him better, he turns up the volume for you. You, in other words, turn up the volume. There is a teaching on that. You can get that if you want. But turning up the volume means that you actually get to hear his voice more clearly. He makes it so that you know it is him talking to you. So this brings us to point 14. Okay, got to get this done. <laughs> Which is check yourself regarding practical things. Practical things have, I have seven little bullet points, actually eight. Well, seven. Yeah, I'm going to make it seven. Okay. The first bullet point is keep your word. Don't tell people you're going to do something and then you don't do it. 
okay? Because we are a reflection of what? The Most High God. When he says he's going to do something, he does it. So why in the world would we tell people we're going to do something and then we don't do it? And don't you dare promise somebody something and don't keep that promise. That's just wrong, okay? I mean, you know, and we even have that in the church. Okay, I mean, I'll give you a real quick example. The people who work our book table, wonderful, wonderful volunteers who come in and give of their time. The people who work the tape ministry, they come in extra time. See, you don't see all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. You just see, you know, what you think you understand, okay, when you come to service. They come in and they are giving up their time of their life to come up with those CDs and things that we ask you to get. Well, I have a tendency to try to come up with specials to help everybody all the time, you know, because I, I want to get the word out to you. And I had given a special once, and people actually went to the book table and ordered these specials. They ordered them, which meant people had to come in extra time to do extra things. And then, do you know, the same folks that ordered them didn't even bother to go pick them up. Okay, so that meant it cost the people their life, which was their time. It cost the ministry the materials to make them, and they didn't even bother to go. And then they're going to act like they don't know that they ordered them. So they're going to try to tip past the book table and act like they don't see it. Instead of, if they had a challenge, just go up and say, okay, I can't do it this week like I promised, but I'll give you a little bit. I'll give you $2. Maybe I can come back next week. But don't just ignore people. That is just wrong. Okay. Okay, but hmm, we have a tendency to do things like that. We need to be kind to one another. We need to be considerate. Now I have to show you this. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, the 14th chapter. And I'm going to read verses 14 through 21 out of the Message Bible. Now this was when Jesus fed the multitudes. And you may be asking, why am I going through this? I'll show you why. I'm going to start out of the message, and it says, when Jesus got the news, he slipped away by boat to an out-of-the-way place by himself. But unsuccessfully, someone saw him, and the word got around. Soon as a lot of people, soon a lot of people from the nearby villages walked around the lake to where he was. When he saw them coming, he was overcome with pity and healed their sick. Toward evening, the disciples approached him. We're out in the country, and it's getting late. Dismiss the people so that they can go to the villages and get some supper. But Jesus said, there's no need to dismiss them. We give them supper. All we have are five loaves of bread and two fish, they said. Jesus said, bring them here. Notice, Jesus didn't pay attention to the fact that it was five loaves and two fish. He paid attention to what the end result was going to be, which was he wanted to feed them. So if you're sitting with sickness in your body, don't sit up and look at the sickness. Look at the fact that you are well and praise the Lord for the wealth. If you don't have money to pay your bills, don't look at the bills. Look at the fact that they are paid. Reverse the thing around. This is just another example of him doing that. Okay? So Jesus said, bring them here. Then he had the people sit on the grass. He took the five loaves and two fish, lifted his face to heaven in prayer, blessed, broke, and gave the bread to the disciples. The disciples then gave the food to the congregation. They all ate their fill, meaning they were full, okay? They were full. They gathered 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, the New King James refers to these as fragments, okay? About 5,000 were fed, and the New King James Version tells us, besides women and children. So it was more than 5,000 people were fed, and there were leftovers. Now, you ask, why did I read this to you? Here's why. 
We forget sometimes simple courtesy, okay? If you go out to dinner with people, I'll give it to you this way. If you are invited to somebody's house for Thanksgiving dinner and they all sit there, you know, say you're sitting around a table of 20 people and you have the turkey and all the fixings, everything's wonderful. Do you reach into your bag right after Grace has said the blessing and the food's been prayed over and take out your Tupperware and start dishing up what you want? Do you do that? No, you would consider that inconsiderate because you want everybody to eat, correct? Okay, well, I'm just gonna share something that happened. We had a wonderful time when we went for to Carmine's recently, okay? We went there to celebrate our administrator's birthday. Now, in case you don't know, because sometimes people don't know, and I love you, so I'm gonna tell you. I'm not gonna talk about you, I'm gonna share with you because I want you to operate in excellence. And you might not know, okay? There are a lot of things I don't know, so I want people to tell me, okay? It is up to the host to decide if you are going to take a leftover, okay? So it was brought to my attention because at Carmine's we had a good time, we had tons of food. So they asked, okay, are you going to allow them? Because see, technically a restaurant, in case you don't know this, they pack up the leftovers and give it to the host. But we didn't wanna do that. We wanted everybody to be able to go ahead and share. But notice the term is called leftover, not meal for tonight and we're gonna take some for the lunch tomorrow. That's not what's supposed to be. But that's what happened at Carmine's, okay? As soon as those little to-go boxes went out after the appetizers, because there was so much leftover, okay? When the main course came, people just started loading up their boxes. You know, and they were, people were actually saying things, well, I could take this to my sister. This is gonna be good for lunch tomorrow. That is incorrect, family. Okay, that is not a leftover. That is you being greedy and you being self-centered and you not being kind or considerate, only thinking about yourself and trying to fill up your box with whatever you can. That is wrong in case you did not know. A leftover is after everyone has been fed and are full. That's why I read Matthew. So I'm not telling you something that's my opinion. I'm giving you the word on it. So next time we go somewhere, Please don't make me have to come tap you on your shoulder, because you know what? <laughs> I will do it, okay? Because I love you, and I want you to have God's best. So I definitely will do it. Okay, so <laughs> bullet point number three is we need to be appreciative. Become more appreciative. I know we're in this instant society where everything is an email. I'll shoot you an email for this. I'll shoot you an email for that. We don't even bother to write out thank you notes anymore. Do you know that's like a dying thing for people to write out a thank you note? But I'm gonna tell you a little secret. If you have a business, especially a business in sales, if you wanna build that business, make it part of your routine to write out 10 thank you notes a week. If you write out 10 thank you notes a week, you will build your business in leaps and bounds because everybody wants to be valued and appreciated. Something that I train my children to do, even the doctor did this when she graduated and got her doctorate. I would have them at the end of a semester if you obviously are in university level or above, but below that at the end of the year, write a thank you note to your instructors. You would be surprised what that does. Because you know what? Teachers are people too. And they 
they talked just like everybody else. So when they find out that the student cared about them that was in sixth grade, wow, they actually cared what they learned. When they get to seventh grade, they tell the seventh grade teacher. And you know what? That child walks into the classroom with the favor of God. Just show a little appreciation. We need to do that, okay? Be supportive. That's the next bullet point. Be supportive of your family, of your friends, of the body of Christ. Take some time to do that and teach your children how to do that, okay? It works out, I promise you. The next thing is share the gospel. Build the kingdom. Get involved. You all come here, many of you come here and have no clue what goes on behind the scenes. You don't, just like I shared with you about the book table, many of you have no clue what goes on there. Get involved. If you see that you think we can have excellence different in our church, give of yourself, add your excellence to it. Help us out, we need your help, okay? So go on and help us, we appreciate it. Then another bullet point is take time to dream. You have to have some kind of vision of what you want for your life. You have to have something. And you know, we're so busy sometimes we forget to dream. And you always hear me come before you with that. Take time to dream. That is something that is important. And then, last but not least in this section, realize your purpose and pursue it. Don't ever stop. Just keep going forward and pursue it and do what it is that God has called you here to do. You would be surprised sometimes at what he calls you here to do. I'm telling you right now, the fact that I'm standing before you, I am more surprised than anybody, okay? But the point is, God has a plan for me. So therefore, you just go ahead and find your purpose and do it. And this is the last bullet point, and I know y'all are probably happy, the last point. Point number 15. Never quit. Keep your confidence in the faithfulness of God and never, ever, ever give up. Turn with me to Romans, the fourth chapter, and we're going to look at verses 16 through 18. And because of time, I'm just going to read it to you out of the Amplified, but I would like for you, when you get a chance, to read it out of, of course, the New King James Version, but to also read it out of the easy-to-read version, because it's really good. Romans 4, verses 16 through 18, okay? You're going to read it out of the New King James and the easy-to-read. I'm going to read it to you really quick out of the Amplified, which says, Therefore, inheriting the promise depends entirely on faith, that is, confident trust in the unseen God, in order that it may be given as an act of grace his unmerited favor and mercy, so that the promise will be legally guaranteed to all the descendants of Abraham, not only for those Jewish believers who keep the law, but also for for those Gentile believers who share the faith of Abraham, who is the spiritual father of us all. As it is written in scripture, I have made you a father of many nations in the sight of him in whom he believed. That is God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, Abraham believed that he would become a father of many nations as he had been promised by God. So numberless shall your descendants be. Now, while you're right there in Romans, jot down to verses 20 and 25. <sighs> okay. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to read it to you out of the easy to read. 
And it says, he never doubted, this is Abraham, he never doubted that God would do what he promised. He never stopped believing. In fact, he grew stronger in his faith and just praised God. Abraham felt sure that God was able to do what he promised. So that's why he was accepted as one who is right with God. And... I like what it says over in the Amplified. That verse says, therefore, his faith was credited to him as righteousness, right standing with God. Back over to the easy read. These words he was accepted were written not only for Abraham, they were also written for us. God will also accept us because we believe. We believe in the one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from death. Jesus was handed over to die for our sins, and he was raised from death to make us right with God. When you get a chance, read those verses of scripture out of the Amplified. I promise you, you'll really, really like it. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I have to read verse 25 out of the Amplified. Who says, Jesus, our Lord, meaning, okay, I got to back it up to 24. I'm rushing, but I just got to do it. Will you all give me like five more minutes? Okay, praise the Lord. Okay, now I feel better. All right. So looking at the Amplified, starting with verse 24, it says, but for, okay, let's see. 23. Now, not for his sake alone, talking about Abraham, was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom righteousness will be credited, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was betrayed and crucified because of our sins and was raised from the dead because of our justification, our acquittal, absolving us of all sin before God. Now, with that being said, regarding our new president-elect, Donald Trump, I shared with Thursday night Bible study that we as believers have a clear responsibility. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel. I want you to see this. So turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, the fifth chapter, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 16. Let me know when you were there. Okay. I'm going to read it to you out of two different places. The first, I'm going to read you the Amplified, which says, starting with verse 13 in Matthew 5, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, purpose, how can it be made salty? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and walked on by people when the walkways are wet and slippery. You are the light of Christ to the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and gives it light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and moral excellence and recognize and honor and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now these same verses out of the Message Bible cuts right to the chase. Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine! Keep
keep open house, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Now turn with me to James. James 5, and we're going to look at verse 16. We have to pray, people. That's why we're here. We are the salt of the earth. We're not here to just sit up and talk about what we don't like about Donald Trump. That's not the point, okay? That is not the point. Okay, so if we look at James 5.16, I'm going to read it to you just out of the easy to read. No, I'm not. When you get a chance, read it out of the New King James Version. Read it out of the easy to read because time is not working with me. So therefore, I'm going to just read it to you out of the Amplified Classic Edition. And it says, confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins, and pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. So therefore, we need to pray for the president-elect, okay? He is only a person. He is really like a pawn on a chessboard, okay? But we have power that can be released because remember, the whole entire power of the Godhead is within us. So when we speak, when we speak peace, when we speak joy, when we speak whatever it is that we want to see out of our mouths, it can and will happen if we are diligent and we do it. We can't just do it now because, okay, we're upset, so we're going to do it for the next week and a half. It needs to be part of what you do every single day that you live, okay? And you need to pray for this man because I'm going to tell you something. Even if we sent you into that Oval Office and told you that the weight of this whole entire world was going to be on your shoulders with the decisions that you make, trust me, it is not something that you can even imagine. So therefore, let's not look at the what we see, the outward appearance of the man and the outward things that he said. Let's be like our Father God and try to look at his heart and recognize that God has turned the hearts of kings, he can turn the hearts of President-elect Trump. Okay, now, we've gone over quite a bit in this series, and some of you may be asking, how am I going to stay the course with all of this? First, get the CDs as a reference, that would help. Then, here is the simple thing that I want you to do. Now, this may seem crazy to some of you, but that's okay. Um, if you are a person who looks at your watch a lot, or if you're a person who's always on your phone, I want you to get a bottle of nail polish, okay? Because this is something that works for me. Now you can, I know it's gonna sound crazy. I'm saying nail polish because it can be removed. If you get a permanent marker, it's there, okay? Put a little dot right at the 12 if it's on the watch. Put a little dot somewhere on your phone. Every time you look at it, it is to remind you that you're to operate in excellence. And if you do that and make it part of your life, and if there are men here, because you know y'all don't have nail polish, see me at the end, I have a bottle of red nail polish. I'll put the little dot there for you, okay? But the point is, if you do it, it's a simple thing, but it's gonna remind you on a daily basis to operate in excellence. And eventually, it will become a habit just like brushing your teeth. Now finally, <clears throat> if you are in a situation, because a lot of us are going through different trials, temptations, and tests that are, you know, it's challenging, okay? And you may just say, Iva, why not excellence? I mean, you know, really? 
Turn with me to John's Gospel, the 16th chapter. And this is something that I suggest you commit to memory. Uh, and it's out of the Amplified Classic Edition. It's important that you get the Classic Edition because it is not in the regular Amplified. And this is what it says. This is Jesus speaking to us. And he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. That, oh my goodness, that right there should kind of excite you. Now, maybe it doesn't, it excites me. And if that's not enough, this is the final scripture. Turn with me to Romans. The eighth chapter, and because of time, <laughs> I'm going to read, we're going to look at verses 37 through, no, 30, excuse me, Romans 8, verses 30 through 39. Now, because you're so astute, I know you can do this. So, we're going to read verses 30 through 36 out of the message, and then 37 to 39, we're going to read out of the Amplified, okay? So, it's Romans 8. Starting with verse 30, out of the message, and it says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up by calling people by name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then, after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. So, what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. Now we're going to switch over to verse 37 out of the Amplified and it says this, yet in all these things, oh. yet in all these things we are more than conquerors and gain an overwhelming victory through him who loved us so much that he died for us. 
for I am convinced and continue to be convinced beyond any doubt that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present and threatening, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us. And what I suggest is you put your name there. So you see, none of these things will be able to separate either from the unlimited love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. With that being said, why not excellence in every area of your life? Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 945 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.